Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am I'm really happy to have Doug Golan with me. Doug is the uh, the editor of Private Jet Card Comparisons. He's become uh, absolutely a preeminent expert on business jet flying, Part 135 operators in the industry in general. He started his career uh, as an analyst covering and writing about the airlines back in the 80s and 90s. I, I just enjoy reading his stuff, and I'm happy to have you on, Doug. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, Craig. Uh, appreciate the uh, the invitation. So, all good. So, hey, look, um, you're seeing it everywhere. I love I love reading your articles. You've got some great insight. You're you're certainly to break. You're certainly the first guy to break a lot of a lot of news to the industry when it happens. Tell me more. How did you get into this? Well, I started as a journalist. I'm a, I'm a media publishing guy. Um, I started as a journalist writing for a, a trade uh, trade publication back in the 80s. And I was uh, a trade publication that went to travel agents, uh, which were a big thing back in the uh, the 80s and 90s. Uh, back then, they sold about 90% of all the airline tickets. And today, the travel agents are still doing very well, but it's actually with the high-end ultra luxury, sort of the same people who... Uh, play in the private jet market. Uh, but I was uh, reporting on uh, the airlines back in the uh, the days of uh, Pan Am was still around. Uh, you had uh, Continental and Eastern together, the Frank Lorenzo. Maybe also, you know, some of what he said was actually true. You couldn't pay, you know, uh, you know, the efficiency in terms of what like the Southwest and these uh uh, other airlines did, uh, but uh, you know, Crandall, of course, with American, came up with the two-tier wage structure. Uh, but you know, uh, Frank was not a good messenger; he didn't know how to deliver it. But you know, you still see labor and airlines today, uh, both at the one twenty-one level and even what's happening with uh, NetJet. So I, I was a publishing guy. Uh, ended up running a, a magazine group. I started a magazine called Elite Traveler, which was or is still distributed in the private jets. It was targeted or is targeted for the, the, the people who are on the back, as opposed to, you know, the pilots where most of the, uh, the, the, the media was targeted and uh, sold my interest in that in 2014. Um, uh, Forbes uh, enlisted me as a contributor you know, they had the contributor network to write about private aviation and luxury travel and I started with a, uh, I did a, a story. It took me about six months to research it uh, on jet cards and memberships because there are more of them than I I had even known about. And they were much more complicated. I mean, you see the brochures, it's, you know, mom and dad at the kid's soccer game, you know, fluffy is going up the stairs and, you know, oh, this looks good. But when you join these programs, as you know, the contracts run 10, 20, 30 pages, and it's a lot of fine print because, you know, most reporters just take their notes in their notebooks. And because I was, you know, managed and, you know, publishing companies and had to deal with investors and CFOs, I got pretty good at Excel. So when things didn't fit into a notebook, I'd always put them into a spreadsheet and that's what I had been doing with all the data I had gathered for these stories for Forbes and a couple of the CEOs like uh, Andrew Collins and Alex Wilcox and then Brad uh, Stewart when he was at Exo said, what are you going to do with all this stuff that you got from us, you know, in the six mm -hmm. months you were researching these articles? And so a woman who had used to work for me at Elite Traveler, she was between jobs. And I said, Lisa, have you ever put a website together? 
She said, no, um, you know, we used to do websites, but we'd pay a lot of money for outside sure. people to do them. And I was sitting on my couch and I didn't want to pay a lot of money. And so a $99 WordPress website in 2016 was the beginning of private jet card comparisons. And we sort of figured, uh, you know, uh, these people are all spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions for fractional ownership. $250, save time, be able to compare the stuff head to head. Maybe they would buy it. And so all of a sudden, I was actually with uh, my dad on a vacation. We were over in Germany and he's an ex-RAF guy. So, you know, if you're on time, you're five minutes late. And all of a sudden, I started getting these notifications, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. People were buying it. And back at the first stage, I had to like personally like flip a switch so that they got their stuff. That's That was the genesis. And, you know, we built it out. Uh, so now today we have over 80 providers. There's over a thousand different program offerings, uh, mainly North America, but we've got a European database. There are some programs that are global uh, but basically, you know, for people who are looking at jet cards, memberships, fractional, it's a great way they can save time. Uh, we provide a custom analysis, so they answer some questions. And uh, based on that, we're usually able to narrow down the providers, you know, from the 80 to four or five or six. And so the providers really like it because uh, there's no cost for them. They just have to give me the data in their programs. But you know, they spend a lot of time or their salespeople spend a lot of time talking to people who are not qualified prospects. And so they know when they get people from private jet card comparisons, you know, they're one of three or one of six choices. And so it's much more efficient. The people already understand where's the primary service area, what's the mm -hmm. call out, what's a, what's a daily minimum, all of the fine print stuff. And so it's worked out pretty well. And so I really enjoy it. I love the I like the people in the industry. It's a great industry that does very good. I like the people on the provider side and, you know, talking to the subscribers, you know, they're all fascinating people because there's a lot of interesting ways that you make enough money sure. to uh, fly privately. So it's Ab fun. absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. look, Hey, we've so, so let's just talk a little bit about the industry. It's a great story. I, mean, I was fascinated with your story. Let's just talk about the industry a little bit. Huge COVID boom. Everybody went from, you know, the initial panic of COVID, you know, we're flying for fuel or we're just, you know, whatever we can to keep the lights on. And then all of a sudden I went through this huge boom and now then, you know, then everything stabilized and then, you know, back to normal, maybe where's the industry now? Are we back to normal? Are we still going to sit, we're going to stay at elevated you know, levels. What, uh, what do you, what's your, what's your sense on where we're at moving forward? Well, it's interesting. I did a, a story from uh, the industry perspective. Argus uh, shared with me a lot of the operator flight hour data's data because you know you hear all sorts of things. We're doing great. You know, no one says they're doing badly, but you know the the numbers when you look at it. Obviously, the Part One Thirty Five numbers, while they're still you know double digits above pre-COVID, they're down from the peak of 21 and 22. And I, it really came out to one of those, you know, your mileage may vary because there are some operators that are way up and there are other operators that are way down. And as I talked to operators, some of the operators that are down were telling me, yeah, you know, we knew that the 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 flush times weren't going to last forever. We didn't do anything stupid. We took all the business we could when we uh, were able to fly it. But you know, we didn't double our fleet. We didn't get into M and A, and so we're back and we're doing a little better than we were before COVID. And then the second thing 
that was interesting I heard from operators of managed fleets is while initially the owners of some of the planes, uh, if they weren't flying, you know, they did like the idea of all the charter revenue. But, you know, when you fly more, you realize that you're wearing your pilots down. And so, you know, all of a sudden from an owner perspective, yeah, well, then the revenue is nice, but, you know, you know, it's more expensive than the revenue to lose my pilots if I'm overworking them. And then the second part of it is, you know, as you know, firsthand and, you know, your great panel at uh, CJI down in Miami, um, you know, every time one of those planes you know, takes off, you're one one step closer to maintenance, uh, necessary maintenance. And I, I was talking to somebody this morning who was, you know, uh, owns a small uh, piston a- aircraft that was supposed to have some inspection in the beginning of November. He has non-refundable um, uh, a villa or something in the Bahamas over Christmas. His wife's pregnant. They were going to fly on that you know, they're now telling him that it's not, they're not going to be able to get to it until January. Um, and Ooh. so I have, I have people who own planes um, who are saying, I like the ownership thing, but I'm chartering, I'm using jet cards so much anyway, because of all the stuff that you talked about in the panel. So, you know, the operation side is difficult. I would say, you know, the question about people sticking with it, I do a lot of research with the subscribers. And so the good news on the demand side, at least from what I see with my the subscribers, is of those people, Craig, who started uh, flying after COVID, 95% of them are saying that they're continuing to fly privately. So for the people, you know, for prognosticators who said, oh, they're all going to just go away. Um, now it's split. About 50% of those people said they're flying private regularly. Mm-hmm. 50% said from time to time. But it's it's sticky. And then the other number that I would say is good for um, the industry of the people who are flying privately before COVID, 88% are flying the same or more than they were before COVID. So those were good signs. The other thing that I think, you know, in terms of tailwind um, is that you I ask, you know, is what happening with the airlines, but tough airline service, you know, the hassles of going through the airport, is that driving you to fly privately more? 50% of the, the total sample say yes. So the uh-huh. fact that the airlines can't get their act together is driving them to, you know, consider more private flying or keeping them flying privately. And interestingly, subscribers who've come into my you know, my funnel into my system uh, who are looking at flying privately, but aren't flying privately yet, that number goes up to about 65%. So, you know, every time you, you know, turn on CNN or the news and see about, you know, them reporting from an airline uh, airport with angry passengers, that, right, that's right, good right, for right. our industry. Well, you know, that's, that's a funny thing. So, you know, I, I, you know, I work out every day with a guy and Private equity got stuck in New York for three days. Kept canceling his flight. Couldn't get home. They're like, "Yeah, we can get you back." Right, Wednesday. You know, it's, it's like three. You go go hang out in New York for three days. We'll get you back. You know, then he you know, he's got to go to Europe. You know, last week or the week before, and for him to get to Europe, he has to take a car down to Myrtle Beach. Nothing, you know, nothing, you know, no flights out of you know, no no flights locally that could get him there. So he's driving to Raleigh or two hours away. You're like, yeah, yeah, look, everybody might, you know, my personal opinion is if you got a net worth of about $10 million or more, you should just have a jet card. At the end of the day, you never know when you're going to need it, but eventually you'll need it. Um, yo, 
maybe it's take your family on vacation, maybe it's for business, maybe for whatever. But yeah, 250 grand out of your life. I mean, it's, you know, at some point you could just say, I can afford it. You may not want to spend it, but you can afford it and you may need it. Well, the I'd say the interesting thing is sort of as people who dipped their toes into private aviation because of COVID went through the first tranche of hours or deposits of, they bought, you know, the feedback about, you know, why are we looking for more um, was sort of twofold. So I, I talked to quite a few husbands who said, yeah, if it were up to me, you know, maybe we'd go back to flying on the airlines. But my wife, you know, with our two young kids said, yeah, you know, any vacations that you take, you know, unless we're going privately, right. you know, don't count me, you know, but here's, you know, you could talk to my lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Well, think um, about, yeah. Think about some of the places you get people go on vacation. Yeah. You know, you're going down to the you know, the Caribbean where there's yeah, two flights a week or. Yeah. I had, I had a guy from, uh, I think he was going from Little Rock or Bentonville, you know, um, to, he has a place in Aspen and he was doing it on the airlines for like the last six or seven years. I think he was an executive at Walmart, you know, after three straight weeks that he didn't get to his, uh, house in Aspen because, you know, whatever the airline was canceled the flight and couldn't get him there till Monday, you know, he's like, well, I can afford it. And, you know, his wife, I guess, stays out there for the season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he said it's it's a cheaper. He's like, it's an expensive house, the private jet, you know, yeah. the cost compared to, you know, not, you know, sitting alone in Bentonville. for. The but you weekend. can do that with a Kinger. You know, it's like you can do that with a Kinger. You can go get, you, you know, you'll find a charter company with a Kinger to take you up there. Or, you know, whatever, TBM. Uh, absolutely. Much, yeah. You know, and then the other thing, too, you were saying with business is I have uh, quite a few people who, you know, their businesses are in spoke cities and they have customers in spoke cities. And while they used to tolerate the connections because, you know, if they were going from Oklahoma City to Buffalo and, you know, the flight through Dallas was canceled, you know, they'd rebook them through Chicago. You get there 20 minutes earlier or 20 minutes later. And now what it's, what's, it's what you said, it's two days later and the customer in Buffalo says, hey, you know, Craig, I love you guys. We spend a lot of money with you, but every time you guys have to cancel because I understand it's the airlines, but you know you're you're um, impacting my team and our business. Right. And I have one subscriber who uh, decided that for non places that they can't fly nonstop, they're using jet cards. And so what he does now, he told me, is in trips that normally his people would just go out to. He'll call the the chairman or the CEO, the owner of the business and say, hey, you know, Craig, you know, my guys are scheduled with you guys next Tuesday. We're coming out. Um, you know, I'm coming with them. Um, are you free for dinner? And he said it's like not only great at keeping the relationships, but, you know, sometimes presentations and stuff that they wouldn't have brought or they'd had to ship separately And then also, you know, he said, you know, I have already, he said in my mind, but not only in my mind to my CFO, I can justify the increased business we've gotten. Thank you. You know, look, I I saw a statistic the other day, a a G450, Gulfstream 450 flying 400 hours a year, 450 hours a year. The budget on it was 3.9 million plus cost of capital. All right. So so G450, you're going to go buy it for round numbers. Plus or minus, please, aircraft brokers, don't throw rocks at me. 20 million bucks. So you get 200,000. So it's 2 million bucks to own it, tax deductible. You fly it 
three million bucks. You're you're a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, five hundred million dollar company, a billion dollar company. Three million bucks to fly the hell out of that airplane and go make more money is well worth the price. I did a search recently, and for a Fortune 100 company, director of aviation for a Fortune 100 company, ran into a guy, and his flight department had two airplanes. They typically put six to eight passengers on each airplane, and they fly them to their facilities. All their facilities are not are outside of two hours away from any major airport. Right. You're not going to go do that via the airlines. At the end, you're starting what you said, and at the end, you're ending. Yeah, there's a lot of flights between New York and Palm Beach, but if you happen to be out on Long Island or somewhere in mid-Jersey, yes, you can drive two hours to Newark, and then yes, you can fly nonstop to Palm Beach, and then yes, you can drive two hours north to Jupiter or somewhere along the Space Coast, and it's an all-day trip Mm -hmm. versus privately- you can fly from Morristown or Trenton, you know, directly to Jupiter, right? Yeah. And boom. Yeah, scariest words ever said. We're going to democratize aviation. <laughs> you know, look, it's expensive. Let's just call it what it is. It's expensive, but for the right, you know, it's the right product for the right people. But till, along those lines, we're probably preaching preach the choir. <laughs> lots of new entrants and lots of, you know, lots of comings and goings in business aviation. Fly exclusive, growing, Volato, just IPO'd. Uh, jet it is a goner. They jet they done jet gone. Who else we got? Who, who else is coming? We got a lot of consolidation between Exajet and Vista Global. So Yeah, I, I I tracked it was interesting. So not necessarily new companies. Since the beginning of the pandemic, there were 20 over 20 companies that launched jet card or membership programs for the first time. So, you know, after the surge, you know, there was almost too much demand and some stopped, but there are a lot of, there are a bunch of new entrants and, you know, fly exclusive, I think is started in 2015, but interestingly, they didn't launch their first jet card program till uh, the beginning of 2020 uh, because they were like a lot of these operators, they're doing m- mainly wholesale market. And then they decided that they wanted to go direct to consumer. So the, I think the other thing that's interesting, it's a, you know, it's a long tail industry, right? And so the interesting thing that I see is that you don't need to be, you don't need to be net jets to be successful. Um, when I ask subscribers, uh, one of the qualifying questions when they ask for a custom analysis is, are you interested in dealing with boutique providers? And 70% say yes. The interesting part about that, from my perspective, is, you know, when you look at the profile of the people who fly privately, um, they're, you know, sure, there's certainly people C-suite in the Fortune 500, but a lot of successful entrepreneurs who started their business in the basement or the garage or took dad's business that was in two locations and now expanded it to the whole East coast. And so I think, you know, when you talk about consolidation, people are like, well, is there going to be space for the boutique operator or boutique provider? And my answer is unequivocally yes, because these, these people, they just need one plane at one time. And, you know, when something goes wrong as it does in aviation and private aviation as well, They like the idea that, you know, the owner of the company is calling them from his kid's soccer game on a Saturday morning 
uh, as opposed to, you know, owner services rep saying we're, you know, we'll call you back and he, right. the person sitting there. And so I think, you know, it's sort of interesting with the M&A and just you look at the industry and I see a lot of these the brokers, you know, on their websites, we have access to 10,000 planes or 12,000 planes. And I always tell them, I think that's the wrong approach. You know, I was saying my background was with the travel trades and travel agents, and I still cover and write about luxury travel. I just came back from a conference in Cannes, France uh, last week called the International Luxury Travel Mart. Uh, oh. About 6,000 people, uh, half of them are the general managers and CEOs of luxury hotel groups. The other half are luxury travel advisors, so travel agents, the ones that were supposed to go out of business. And the ones that are successful are the ones who are dealing with the ultra high net worth, the same people who are doing private mm -hmm. jet charters and own jets and have shares with net jets. And the interesting thing is you could book a hotel in Rome on Expedia. You know, Bill Gates said when he started Expedia, throw away your travel agent's business card. You can do it all online. And the uh, St. Regis in Rome has one bedroom suites. Uh, but they're not all the same, right? Some look over the back alley, some are on top of like the club or underneath like the roof bar. Then there are like some that uh, overlook the Spanish steps. And so these travel advisors have relationships with the GMs of the hotels. So if Craig was my client and I was a travel advisor and you were going to Rome and I had recommended the St. Regis, I would then call or email to my contact at the St. Regis and say, hey, Craig is coming. It's an important trip. He hasn't been to Rome or whatever. Please no. make sure you get him in one, you know, these six suites, one of these six. And the person who gets the ones overlooking the loading dock are the guys who book on Expedia or Travelocity yeah. and stuff like that. And so I always tell, and uh, there's a broker down in Miami. I'm located in Miami, uh, uh, Kevin Demore at Unity Jets. He's an ex-Net Jets guy. And he lets me sit in his office from time to time to see how the sausage is made. And you hear you hear the conversations, well, from the customer, uh, yeah, well, I got this and it's $2,000 less. And so who's the operator? What's the tail? And, you know, he'll look it up and he'll either say, oh, that's good. Or he'll say, yeah, you know, listen, it's not about safety, right? It's about reliability. You know, we don't use that operator because, you know, X, Y, and Z in terms of, you know, uh, reliability. And I think the other thing going back to, you know, the long tail and the M&A is the fact of the matter is when you talk to brokers and you ask them out of those 20,000 planes that you say you have access to on, on your website, and none of these lux luxury travel uh, advisors are saying, we have access to 80,000 hotel rooms, right? right? It's the relationships. How many operators did you use in the last year? Well, we booked with 100. Great. How many do you use regularly? 12 operators, 10 operators, mm -hmm. 15 operators. And the great thing about the industry is it's like any industry. It's the 2080 rule. Yep. And so with those 15 operators that they are working with, when something goes wrong, they have the buying power and the cloud to call them up and say, hey, listen, you know, I don't care what's happening with your other customers. You know, I have more bookings, you know, three more bookings this month. I need you to get a replacement aircraft for Craig. I'm not going to go out and requote them.
you know, that's the power of the industry, you know, providing a good product that the customers want. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing is that, you know, uh, you know, I've sold uh, your customers are wealthy people. I've sold a trash right. load of wealthy people. And here's what I found over the years is they'll pay up. They don't care. Right. They want, they want customer service. They want outstanding customer service. They want outstanding customer service now, and they want to be taken care of. Right. But, and if you ever screw them, you're done. You're, you're, well, you're done. So if they get three things, if they get you know, three things, and the fourth thing is that all three of the things done honestly, they're your best buddies. And they'll pay up. They they want that personal touch. There's like, hey, look, you know, I'm going to I'm going to Malta. Right. Uh, what hotel do I stay at? And and you talk to the luxury travel broker, says, I got it all set up, right? And 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 you're good, you're gonna be thrilled. You know, after that, you know, if you're if you're booking it on Expedia, good luck. I mean, it's like every time I go to Las Vegas. Well, Good luck. Mean, the the other thing I'd say it's sort of interesting is so when I get a new subscriber, I know if they call me within an hour of subscribing, it's going to be to tell me the company I'm with sucks, um, and I'm calling you after I subscribed. I wanted to let you know so that you can write a story about how bad they are. And I'm like, okay, what 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 did what did they do to you? Please tell me. And you know, ninety nine percent of the time. It's, um, well, did you know that they, that the, they won't give me my money back? You know, I took a 40 minute flight and it's, uh, uh, they charged me two hours or, uh, I tried to book it 48 hours and, um, they, they told me they would, they wouldn't honor their guaranteed rates. And so I'll go like, okay, so, um, non-refundable, but you know, in the contract, that the program is non-refundable or yes, the, you know, they build you for two hours because they have 120 minute minimums on light jets or, you know, the reason we, did you by chance when you said 48 hours, were you trying to book on a peak day? Well, I don't know. Well, uh, you know, okay, well, yes, non-peak days are 48 hours, peak days are seven days advance notice to get mm -hmm. your contracted rate. When I was running publishing companies, I had salespeople reporting to me and they always told me, Doug, a good salesperson, when they see the, like, you don't talk that much, you let the customer talk. And then when they're ready to sign, you give them a pen with the ink in it, right? And you mm -hmm. shut up and you let them sign the contract. And so, you know, rich people, Fred at the club told me this and that. And so these are good salespeople used to dealing with ultra high net worth. Yeah. And so- people end up buying into programs that weren't right for them. And so, you know, really what I try and do is just, you know, with the having all the terms and policies based on what they're looking for, match them to the companies that fit their needs. I think one of the challenges in the industry when you talk about flight providers is the natural answer is, you know, oh, we can do it. And yes, they can do, you could do anything, right? We can use your funds and do anything, but, you know, if you're not adhering to our policies, when we source that flight, you know, it's probably going to cost you twice as much as it would have with the program that's targeting right. that type of flying. Yeah. So. You know, when I was a FlexJet way back in the day, that was the thing that scared me the most was the person that called me up. They just wanted the contract. They just wanted to sign it. I'd always just say, look, you know, yeah, I mean, hey, look, it was a sale. I could sign them up and it was a sale. But then I knew that what was on the back end of that? They'd go do right. a couple of flights and they get the bill. And I'm like, you never told me. Flip side of that question was you never asked, but then you're wrong because you know you never told them. Well, you never asked, right? It's not my job. My job is to sell you the program. 
not to tell you all the intricacies of, you know, whatever this, whatever that. So, you know, I always just said, hey, make sure you read through, through this contract or better yet, here's a lawyer, go, 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 go spend some money with a lawyer and have them walk you through it so you know exactly what you're getting into. But that was just me. You know, it's like, all right, you know, because I just hated those calls where, you know, the irate customer on the back end is going, you never told me. It's like, well, you never asked. So. Well, and I, I always tell some, so I have in the paid section, I have about a, a half dozen lawyers who specialize in fractional ownership and jet cards. Then I encourage them to use them. And the, But the one thing I tell them is, listen, you know, request a copy, at least a sample copy of the contract when you ask for a proposal, because the brochures with dad at the kid's soccer game and fluffy are all nice, but it's the contract and, you know, they'll put you to sleep, but you know, when you're getting down to the final one or two, read the contract, because Mm -hmm. even in my, you know, interaction with them, you know, when you read these contracts, there's other stuff that they may not have thought about or hadn't discussed Mm -hmm. with me. And it comes up and, you know, listen, I, I'm the last person who should be giving advice because I've never read my AT&T, you know, contract. Yeah, 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 exactly. Who knows what I've agreed to, or, you know, my, (laughs) my insurance, you know, health insurance, I have no idea. I just know that I paid them and I'll be damn mad if they don't, you know, live up and they'll say on page 17 of your insurance, we, we didn't cover that, but you know, that's, that it is, it's a lot of money. I always tell people, um, you know, we haven't really talked about financial uh, viability of companies, but one of the things I tell uh, tell people is, listen, um, these are uh, basically, it's like the airline business, except it's unscheduled airlines. You know, if you look at airlines, you know, airlines come in business, airlines go out of business. Mm-hmm. And so don't use your kids or grandkids college money to fly privately, you know. You know, sure, there are some that have escrow accounts. We saw with Aerovante that it's possible to game escrow accounts. You know, some of these guys say they have, oh, we have a segregated account, Doug. And I, it's one of the things I track actually yeah. in my database. Uh, but, you know, when you say segregated account, we keep the jet card deposit separate. And so I'll say, okay, so let's get to that day where you're down on cash and you need to pay payroll. So where are you going to go? You're going to go into that segregated account and the segregated account doesn't uh, require the customer to release the money. And so, um, you know, I always tell people, you know, don't don't overbuy, buy for the next six to 18 months. Um, You know, sometimes people will say, well, if you give us three years of money or whatever, we'll give you a better deal. Every time the deal is up, you have a chance to renegotiate and get your free hour or your whatever confirmed upgrades and catering credits. And so I think, you know, people just have to go into it as a business transaction. I always tell people you're not marrying your jet card. You can have more than one. Some people have a jet card program they use for Caribbean trips because it's got good Caribbean terms and pricing. And another one that they'll use for, you know, transcon flights or short flights or things like that. So, uh, you know, I think the the great thing about the industry is as the products have become more segmented and a, a little bit more diverse, um, it's like, you know, cars in a driveway. You don't have just one. You have a convertible for the beach and you have an SUV for the mountain house. Yeah. No, look, the, the, you know, the, the couple of things you said in there, one, financial viability. I mean, I think about Jet Suite. Belly up with a hundred million bucks. Aerovanti, right? Vacation at club fed pending. <laughs> um, 
you know, the club fed. It, I like that. That's it good. just, it, it just, you know, look, this industry there, you know, it, it, what I love about this industry is the good players do all they can to keep the riffraff out. And yeah, but every now and again, you got some guy like Aravanti coming in, or then you had, you know, you had Avanti, uh, you had the Piaggio guys out of Tampa. Right. Avantair a couple of years ago, you know, Jet Suite, a hundred million bucks, you know, and they were selling all the way up to the last day. And that's one thing, you know, it's, it's, hey, look, if you're going to do this, financial viability of the company, you know, you make them show you the books or how they schedule, you know, segregate stuff. And then in turn, it's it's worth, you know, you're going to hand over 250 to 500,000 bucks or more. Right. It's worth a couple bucks to have Steve Hofer or one of the more prevalent aviation attorneys who deals in this industry regularly take a look at it because they know who the providers are. They know where to look and they know where the dead bodies are hiding. Right. Stuff like that. So, you know, jet it. Obviously, the guys, you know, jet it. Ah, we're out of business. Good luck selling your airplane. Yeah. Uh, well, it was, um, it was, um, uh, and I actually, I want to, I talked to Amanda down at, uh, CJI. I want to do a sort of a, she represented a lot of, uh, uh, jetted owners. I want to do sort of a postmortem with her about, you know, what mm -hmm. happens when your fractional provider goes belly up, because I think it'll be an interesting, uh, story, but you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword, uh, Craig, and it's interesting because, you know, uh, you know, certainly JetSuite, it turned out when you looked at the bankruptcy uh, reports, they were very successful at raising money. They were never really, uh, uh, never really made a profit. And, you know, it wasn't fraud, right? It was a, you know, business plan that didn't, uh, didn't, uh, didn't Correct. work out. And, you know, everyone can throw things around. Aravante, obviously, the allegations are pure you know, Ponzi scheme, uh, fraud and, you know, court, court will uh, determine that. And then the, uh, uh, the founder has some other problems with the DOJ, you know, in terms of other businesses that he allegedly committed, uh, uh, right. fraud with, but, you know, I look at even like wheels up and VistaJet, which get a lot of, you know, grief within the industry. Um, and, you know, I see people who subscribers who are with them and join them and, so the interesting thing that I think about with those programs, and I just did an interesting, I thought an interesting article about VistaJet is, you know, I've had subscribers who've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars for either requotes or cancellations on international itineraries. So one uh, subscriber, she was coming from uh, Denmark to Seattle. She booked a flight. It was like $150,000. Um, thought she had to get back. She just assumed, and she has a jet card for the U.S., but she booked this with some charter broker and just assumed that you could cancel it in this and that. And then her plans changed, and they're like, no, you know, it's an international one-way, goodbye $150,000. I had another subscriber who was in Nairobi, this is about a year, over a year ago, so probably somewhat impacted still by covid um, there was a mechanical, had to get somewhere else. And um, the requote to get him a plane down to Nairobi and to pick him up to wherever he was going was over $300,000. And so if you look at like VistaJet and, you know, despite the press about, you know, the FT article and all that stuff, and, you know, that they did raise $500 million, you know, why do people join VistaJet? Well, one of the reasons is if you're traveling intercontinentally, 
you know, there's only a couple options where you can book and cancel on 48 hours notice. So, you know, if you're going to meet the uh, uh, the energy minister or some minister in South Africa, you know, chances are, you know, they're going to reschedule that six times unless you own a jet or you have a share with like a NetJets or a FlexJet, right? Booking charters, you can lose money. And so my only point is, you know, there's a lot of ways to lose money in private aviation. Sometimes it's a cancellation fee. Sometimes it's the company went out of business. And Mm -hmm. the interesting thing I'll say about JetSuite, because the best thing for me is when a company goes down because uh, there's this uh, group of flyers uh, or like NetJets, when they stopped renewing uh, JetCard, their JetCard members, when all of a sudden this big group of flyers needs a new place to fly, I get more subscribers. So um, I benefit when these things happen. I don't like it. But when I got uh, you know people in from JetSuite, the first response was, I'm going to sue these guys, blah, blah, blah. Within six months, the responses I started getting back were, you know, Doug, I looked at the math and yes, I lost 80,000 bucks, but I was a member for two years or three years. And when I amortized things, I still came out ahead of what I would have paid with brand A and B. So it's complicated. I mean, it's complicated. If you want to take a jet to Nigeria, it's good luck. It's or, or, or if you need a short, like a lot of the guys during the, you know, um, they raised the daily minimums on light jets from like 60 to 90 or 120 minutes. Mm-hmm. So what's the solution? It wheels up King Air, right? You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, you could either pay $15,000 on a light jet or $6,000 to wheels up. Yeah, I mean, and and look, the wheels up thing uh, to me, you know, wheels up, it's just hard to make money on King Airs. It's just hard to make money on King Airs. I, I think going back about six, seven years ago, I was talking to them and they're like, yeah, we're deadheading an airplane from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, back to Chicago (laughs) on a pretty routine basis. I knew at that time I was not going to be an investor in Wheels Up. I'm like, oh, that just hurts. Just just listen to that hurt. I heard from like subscribers who would ask me, how long is, do you think this will continue? And the, how long do you think this will continue? Were the people in Jackson hole who would talk to the pilots and they'd hear, yeah, the plane came in from Santa Barbara, you know, took you on the 40 minute flight to Denver and then deadheaded to like back to Chicago or something. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's, that's a recipe. That's a recipe. Just, yeah. And that they themselves knew it was too good to be true. Yeah. And they also understood that they, you know, as the financials were out there publicly, listen, I have money at risk. But the interesting thing is when they look to compare and I would be doing comparisons, helping them out, you know, for a lot of these people, the reason they stick stuck with wheels up is that for the terms and the prices, it was still a better solution than the other ones. Absolutely. If you were a customer of wheels up, it was great. It was a yeah. great deal. If you're an investor, it wheels up. It was so, <laughs> so good a deal. Diff, different matter. You know, now look, now they're, you know, they're, they're redoing their service areas or they're, mm. they're looking at how the fleet is managed, how it's operated. Those are exercises that needed to happen a couple of years ago. Um, mm. yeah, right. But, well, yeah, we'll, see, well, look, we'll see where it goes. I mean, yeah, hey, look, um, they're not out yet. So we'll, we'll see where it all goes. Well, the other thing too, I think about it, you know, and listen, you know, I'm, I, I look at the rules and the programs, the other stuff is, is harder to gauge, but they were built and they raised money on the, the thesis that they were going to build an Airbnb of private jets. And 
the investors what they wanted, like they wanted with Amazon and Airbnb and all these things. Their message to the management team was get as many members as you can. We'll get the scale, right. you know, and we'll be, we'll figure out how to make money later. And then there was a day, and I think it was 2022, because I remember the guy from Uber came on and shocked everyone because his investors said, oh, we now want you to make money starting today, you know, stop yeah. the losses. And Daria, I can't pronounce his last name, but he said, oh, we're cutting out all these other Uber things. Goodbye, Uber Jets. Goodbye, Uber this. Yeah. We're going to make money on doing Uber Eats and Uber Uber the cars. And, you know, I think that's, that that's where, you know, Wheels Up really got whipsawed. They had bought all those operators. They hadn't merged them effectively. It was their costs were going through the roof. They had, you know, their their gold or their their real asset was the subscriber base they had uh, built up. So whereas other providers were using force majeure and, you know, fine print in their contracts, to change the terms on 30 days notice mm -hmm. wheels up really did not they lived up to the you know the letter of their contract they didn't change terms uh, in fact they did some things that were probably detrimental to their financial that lessened the impact of the changes they made but you know they're around as you mentioned delta is there and so we'll see what the next chapter brings well, I, look i'm not in their books i'm not in their operations i'm not you know i'm not anywhere close i don't have an opinion I don't have an educated thought. Let's put it that way. I could surmise, but when I when I when when they were telling me about all the deadhead that was going on, I'm yeah, like, yeah, because I saw Raytheon when Raytheon had Travel Air, right? You know, they went bankrupt operating King Airs. It just killed them. You know, this it just killed them. Now, on the flip side, you know, you think about so yeah, you know, I, I don't have an opinion about NetJets. I mean, about uh, about wheels up. It's funny. Um, I, I I'm a being a reformed New Yorker living in Miami. I lost. I just never renewed my license living in New York City, so I don't have a driver's license, and I rely on Ubers. And I keep using Uber. If Uber and Lyft ever went out of business, I'd have to get a driver's license again. So, well, I'm not sure if they're making money or losing money, but I'm rooting for them to succeed just because it's a good solution. And I, I think I root for everybody. I mean, yeah. I absolutely, I'm rooting for wheels up. I'm hoping they do well. You know, fly exclusive. I'm hoping fly exclusive does well. They provide a lot of jobs up in, you know, Eastern North Carolina where there's absolutely. not a lot of, where there's not a lot of jobs. I'm, I'm hoping Volato does well. I mean, I want to see, you know, I want to see a new entrant. I, I want to see a new entrant come in and, you know, maybe, you know, offer a little bit of, you know, different business plan, but, you know, you know, successful competition raises the bar for the industry. It makes everybody do a little. It makes everybody do a little bit better. You know, so I, I just want to see everybody do do great. I want to see the uh, the riffraff of uh, Fly Avanti <laughs> out of the industry. They but just yeah. I'll, I'll say, Craig. The so those people, the things that you know, um, I don't like are those guys that are fraud people that's a alleged fraud, but people you know that have fraudulent schemes and that pops up and you see it from time to time. And I cover that. And then the other thing I think is you see, uh, and I think the whole industry would probably, or most in the industry would agree. Um, there's a, there's a group of companies that are small companies with big aspirations and their, their um, approach is hire a PR company for 10,000 bucks a month and put out a press release that we've revolutionized Ooh. the market 
And so when I talk to them and they get coverage because they're talking to journalists who don't understand what goes on in the background. So they're really uh, taking advantage of, you know, uh, a reporter who's writing about Tahiti one day, a 40 year old scotch the next day, and now a private jet company that's revolutionizing the market. And when I talk to them and ask them, so where do you get, uh, you know, this stuff? Oh, Avinode or, you know, fly easy. And, you know, so anyway, that that's sort of, I think, what's detrimental to the industry, the people who go out there and claim, you know, that they're doing they're making changes. And the only thing that they're really done is hire a PR company and essentially misrepresent what they're doing. We're the Expedia private jets, you know. Yeah. Well, absolutely. if Expedia meant that they had to when I went on online that they then had to call up American Airlines and find out if they were really flying planes from Miami to Toronto on next Tuesday then you know then you would be like Expedia but that's not what they are you know yeah no i hear you but uh, no i love what you're doing Doug you're doing a great service to the industry i think it's it's a great it's a great place just to have a clearinghouse of information for the customers to go to with some dedicated resources it just keeps everybody. It keeps everybody a little bit honest, or I don't want to say honest, but it just keeps everybody on top of the game. And it's a great resource for a very complex. What could be a very complex industry? Well, whenever a new program comes out, and I have all sorts of formulas in my uh, database to take you know into account, and people come out and say, "I'm really going to make buying jet cards or fractional. I'm I'm making it simple and easy." And it, it's always some type of twist, and maybe in their mind it's simpler and easier. But I always tell them, like, "Listen, they're like, well, do you think you can incorporate that?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And uh, do you think it's, you know, I've made it much easier? And I said, no, but you, that's why I'm in business because you guys just keep making it more complicated. So. Yeah, exactly. Right. So how do folks get a hold of you? How do they find private jet card comparisons? So um, it's a website, privatejetcardcomparisons.com. So if they go to the website, there's a free newsletter so they can sign up uh it's got alerts uh, every Saturday. I do a luxury travel uh, newsletter that includes all of the headlines that I posted from that week on private jet card comparisons. And then if they want, they can subscribe. Uh, it's $250 a year. I have some premium content. So for example, that VistaJet article is premium content. Um, and then they have access to the comparisons, which I just did the 153rd update of the year. Wow. Yeah. And so, uh, and they can get a custom analysis. And then on the business to business side, I take the data that I get, obviously anonymous, but I I, I, I uh, aggregate that data and I do an annual uh, research report. Um, uh, it's called the Jet Card Report, but it covers jet sharing, on-demand charter, fractional ownership. It's about 300 pages of what customers want, what they're looking for when they buy, um, what's what's a deal breaker, then also who they bought from, what they bought, how much they spent, how well the providers are doing, what they're looking for, you know, reasons they're considering leaving providers. Mm-hmm. And so that that report I sell as research B2B research to the uh to the industry. I love it. It's great. It's a great resource. And I, I love reading it. Um, I get the newsletter. I love reading it. Um, Thank you. Every time you're wonderful. It's a it's a wonderful resource for the industry. So we're gonna do this again. 
Well, listen, anytime, I've got to say, um, just to return the compliment, you were a fabulous moderator at CJI. And the the story I did off your panel about the operational uh, challenges uh, was great, great content, because one of the things I like to try and do is explain what's going on behind the scenes. Because, you know, when the customer understands the challenges that the industry has, mm -hmm. they become a little bit more empathetic. And the interesting thing is, you know, all of the customers or 99% of the customers who fly privately, you know, they own and operate businesses too. And so they get frustrated when they have service letdowns. Interestingly, when I talk to them, uh, you know, and after they get done, you know, ranting or, you know, raving or just telling me what happened. You know, I asked them about what business are you in and, you know, so how is COVID and supply chains and labor shortages? How has it impacted what you do? And they all have a story that's as bad or worse than what's happening in private aviation. And they really come away and they're like, okay, you know, listen, I know for the most part, the providers are not trying to piss people off. They're working mm -hmm. really hard to try and provide a good service. When there's a mechanical, they're they're dialing for dot. They're just trying to find that replacement plane. They don't want to inconvenience you. And so the panel that you did, you guys did a really fabulous job. And that's gotten a lot of um, great feedback from my my subscribers and i've also had a few jet of uh, the jet companies say that they actually took that story linked it and sent it to some of their um uh their members just to say hey listen this is from yeah. third party no excuses but just to give you a flavor for what's happening so you know to it's you a and Al, yeah. it's a complex it is a complex convoluted industry operating jets i don't care who you are it is a hard, hard business. So, and, you know, it and, and not necessarily overly lucrative. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. I, I always, I always tell these guys, uh, the subscribers, I'd like most of the people who are in private aviation, there are a few, but most of us fly commercially. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So good. Hey, let's wrap it up here, but let's do it again. Hey, listen, happy holidays. Uh, great to see you in Miami and thank you for this opportunity. So anytime, uh, uh, it would be an honor and a pleasure to be part of uh, uh, another one of your podcasts. Love to have you back on, Doug. Thanks very much. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.